Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome to episode 360 of the Battery Power Podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. Because it is trade deadline time, I have to tell you exactly when we are recording this episode of the podcast. It is Saturday. Yes, Saturday, July 30th, about 10 p.m. Eastern. Uh, the game just ended. The Braves won this evening over the Diamondbacks, which we'll touch on a little bit later in the show and on tonight's podcast. I know it's a day early. My apologies for travel purposes, but I am joined, as often, by Eric Cole. Hello, sir. Redford, it has been too long since I've had a chance to actually talk to you. Uh, a lot of the draft coverage and stuff, we kind of missed each other, but I've missed you. And I'm looking forward to your takes on why Ozzy Albee should get traded and <laughs> why the Braves should tear things down. Here we go. I don't know. What are, what are, what are all the bits? I mean, there's a lot of bits that we have to get into. Oh, Austin Riley is not even a top 10 uh, third baseman. That's, that's, not what I, that's not what I said. Never said that. But yeah, no, there's a lot of bits that we gotta get caught up on. And so we get I have I have a lot of ground to make up and you know from the, my absence. So looking forward to talking some baseball. Yeah, I did realize that when I was prepping for the podcast that you and I had not talked in this form in like four or five weeks. It's been a while. Uh I purposely did not ask you to talk to me last week because of all the job coverage that you did. Uh and you guys were very, very busy. <laughs> my, uh my thanks to you. My thanks yeah. to you. Thank you. You were uh, podcasting more than everybody else was, so uh, I wanted to do that on purpose, and Scott and I talked on Saturday. Again, it is my fault we were recording on Saturday. Uh, I have to travel on Sunday. Uh, I'm not really sure what my schedule is going to entail tomorrow, so it's one of those things where I figured we would knock out a podcast, and if we get deadline news, we will uh, scramble the Jets and record an emergency podcast of some form, whether it be myself or Eric or Scott or whoever. We have lots of people that can record a podcast if we need to on Sunday, but uh, the deadline is Tuesday. That is sort of the headliner that is out there waiting for us all. We'll touch on that later on in the podcast. And also, I'll just say this, we've been very busy on the podcast feed in recent days, not only back to the draft week shenanigans for yourself, Eric, but also Sean Coleman has been uh, diligently giving us uh, all kinds of updates daily, including a special episode on Saturday morning. We had an episode with Chris and Steven this week. Scott and I went like an hour, 15 minutes last week. Uh, we've been very busy on the podcast network. So please subscribe to the show. If you're a new listener, welcome aboard. And we hope you enjoy what you hear on this podcast. We have four shows for the price of $0. And there you go. Um, I did say earlier, but Sean Coleman has been doing Daily Hammer episodes. We're going to fly through the games pretty quickly, I would say, at least until the uh, weekend games that we've been covering now. Um, it's sort of interesting. Scott and I recorded last Saturday night, and uh, since we did not cover Sunday's game, 
it's notable that we did not have to cover, uh, at least in depth, the Ian Anderson uh, shaky game that happened last week. Uh, I was uh, all ready to talk about how Ian had been struggling. And then, of course, tonight he was uh, awesome. So that's good to hear. Um, we'll come back to Ian in a second. But they, lo- they, of course, lost on Sunday in pretty sort of blowout fashion to end that series. And then lost, they got, lost again on Monday. And it was like, oh, a losing streak is happening. Uh, they had an A.J. Minter blow up on Monday evening. Um, actually, he actually got two outs in his blow up inning and then allowed single, single, three-run home run to lose the game on Monday. Eric, were you among the Braves fans that were panicking after back-to-back losses this week? (laughs) I think that there seems to be a whole lot of college football fans that happen to follow the Braves lately because there does seem to be a lot of living and dying on losses and the combination of that and just, you know, how good they were in June, they just, they just barely lost at all. And that was, that's an, that's an anomaly. Right. And, you know, the reality is that you're going to, like every month they're probably going to lose at least 10 games and the, the Braves like I, I don't know what exactly what the record is now but the stat I heard was like you know this is the longest a Braves team's gone uh without having a three-game losing streak since like the 1800s uh and as it turns out they didn't lose three games in a row because they ended up getting that win on Tuesday so no I was not worried at all like these things happen and you know it's the, the dead of summer you know AJ Minter has been great all year and he's had a shaky week and you know that's the only reason they, they lose that game on Monday is because you know he just gets beat up in one inning they're still playing very well again there's been some you know you'll have some shaky games here and there uh, there's more some like long term you wonder about projecting like some of the like the bottom parts of the rotation maybe some of the guys in the the rotation and or the bullpen uh, like if they're going to continue to produce, but like their performance this week was perfectly fine. It's just, you're going to have weird games sometimes and they've beaten up on Arizona the last two days. So the short answer is no. After, after losing two games in a row, I was not running around like my hair was on fire. Like some people were, I mean, like the, I was having people saying that they need to, to trade Spencer Strider right now because his value is never going to be higher and they need to go back and get a bat so they can actually win a world series. I, I was I mean the, the the number of trade Acuna takes has been wild. Uh, <laughs> like I, I think that this I I think that that is a a loud but small minority of our listeners. But I would say to you either take a breath or find another sport to watch because baseball <laughs> is going to break your heart a lot if you are going to live and die by every single game, especially for a Braves team that's playing really really well overall. Yeah, obviously the ups and downs are what they are in baseball. And uh, even, you know, after even after those results that we just covered, they they went on Tuesday in bounce back fashion behind uh, Austin Riley, who's been wrecking uh, considerably in recent days. Uh, home runs from Michael Harris and Matt Olson. Strider was good, as you just referenced. Uh, there was some Will Smith danger on Tuesday. Uh, I'm not purposely going to have the Will Smith conversation tonight. We'll talk about that at some other point, Eric. But uh, they won that game on Tuesday. They did lose on Wednesday behind some faulty defense, uh, both from Charlie Morton, who kind of struggled on Wednesday, and Robinson Cano, who we'll come back to as well. Um, But Morton had his worst start in a while on Wednesday, a little bit of shakiness there. I don't worry about that at all because he had been awesome for like, I don't know, six weeks before that. So no concerns there. And they did uh, start this series against the Diamondbacks over the weekend in pretty strong fashion. Uh, We'll do a little bit more depth on these games as they just happened in the last couple of days. Friday night's win, a 5-2 victory. Uh, they kind of teed off on Madison Bumgarner in unsurprising fashion. He's not fantastic these days necessarily. But we should stop and talk about Austin Riley for a second. I will just say before we do that, uh, on the Daily Hammer on Saturday on this podcast feed, Sean Coleman went into a little bit about his MVP campaign, which I believe for the first time, I think uh, 
as Braves fans are prone to, and especially as the broadcast is prone to, um, the Riley MVP stuff kind of started a little bit too early a few weeks ago when he wasn't quite in the mix. And now he actually is because he's been so ludicrous this entire month plus. Um, but Riley at the end of Friday was slugging over 600 and was basically uh, approaching Hank Aaron on an extra base hits leaderboard for a month. Uh, whenever you're approaching Hank Aaron on anything in Braves history, you're probably in good shape. And uh, let's just say he is uh, out of his mind. Even tonight when he was making outs on Saturday, he was doing it with hitting the ball like 110 miles an hour. It's it's insane. Yeah, just every – his outs are getting squared up. I mean, that was – that the one of his outs tonight was 110 miles an hour and had an expected batting average of like over 700. Uh, it, it was one of the more impressive over, like one for four performances you'll likely ever see, uh, other than some of the ones that maybe Ronald Cunha Jr. puts up where he kind of does similar things where he hits the crap out of the ball and just doesn't have anything to show for it. But, yeah, what he's been doing is wild. And, you know, Chris had a tweet actually – I think it was a tweet. It wasn't just in our chat. But they basically said if he doesn't win – uh, NL player of the month for the month of July that should just throw away the award. And he's a hundred percent, right? Like he Riley has been far and away the best player, best hitter in, in the big leagues for the month of July. He's been out of his mind. He rightly deserves to be in the MVP voting. Some of that in terms of like, you know, what, how that ultimately turns out down the line is going to be determined one. I, there's no way he can keep this pace up. If he keeps this pace up, it's going to be unanimous vote at the end because that what he did in July was insane. But if he can keep up being really productive, it's going to come down to me again, like Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt have been really good all year. Manny Machado has been good all year. Dansby, uh, who was kind of the, the, if you're looking for a Braves candidate, was the front runner, which is a phrase that I never thought I was going to say. Uh, he's cooled off somewhat. So, you know, may, and we kind of, again, we didn't expect him to kind of, you know, be in the consideration for top three MVP voting necessarily, but he is buoyed by some deep, by some defensive production. So he, the, the short answer to the kind of the Riley discussion is he's been absolutely insane. I hope he continues to be absolutely insane. I do wish his defense at better was at third was better, but yeah, it's going to have to come down to ultimately he's had this insane month to kind of get him in the conversation, but there's some guy, been some guys ahead of him that are on some good teams or pretty good teams anyway. And those guys are going to have to come back to earth a bit too, for him to have a shot at it. Yeah. He's definitely a real candidate now after this run and just to put a, a cap on it a little bit, you mentioned his July performance. The only player in major league baseball who's even close is Aaron judge, who by the way, might break the home run record in terms yeah, of the non bonds home run record, I should say. Um, but uh, yeah, as of, as of Here yesterday, so at the end, of, at the end of yesterday, uh, this is, this, this is not include tonight. It's not updated yet, but uh, Riley in the month of July had 13 doubles, 11 home runs, and he was slugging. This is only slugging, not OPS. He was slugging 906 in July. That's that seems good. He has an OPS yeah. almost almost fourteen hundred this month. That's uh, that's ludicrous stuff. So yeah, we'll talk about that more often. But if you want more on that, listen to Sean from earlier today. But obviously, Riley has been in a groove. Um, elsewhere on Friday, uh, Kelly Jansen was a bit of an adventure. Got it done at the end, but he was actually going to be, uh, I guess, unavailable on Saturday. He has I guess, some sort of back issue. Um, before that, though, Kyle Wright was rock solid again. He has still been. Quite solid. Um, I did uh, hear something that I, I believe it was Brian Jordan. I don't, I don't mean to say that just out of willy nilly. I think it was Brian Jordan talking about him being the ace of the staff this year. And I had to laugh at that because Max Fried is definitely the ace of the staff. All respect to Kyle Wright. Um, but Kyle Wright is leading the National League and wins, Eric. Do you care about that? I don't care about that, but he is doing that. Uh, what I actually care about 
is the sub three ERA, and he's being uh, he's actually still top ten in innings pitched. He is top twelve in the National League in Fangraphs WAR among starting pitchers. He has been quite good. I have nothing else to add other than that the wins thing. I don't really care about, but hey, it's something he's actually leading the league in wins right now. It's happening. Well, I mean, wins mean that the you know the Braves are winning games that he's playing in, which is good. Uh, that's pretty much all yes. it means, though. Uh, that, that's that's pretty much all it means, though. He's been very good, and I think that the the thing that you mentioned the most is the innings. You know, in a, a world where you know, like the bullpen's been a little bit exposed at times between injuries and guys kind of just being a bit more inconsistent, just having a guy, and we, as I would have never would have bet it would have been Kyle that can reliably kind of get you six innings basically every time he goes out has been really helpful and he's just been good. And you know, the, the stuff has played up well, anytime he's been in trouble or he has an inning that doesn't go particularly well, what we used to see in the past is that he would just kind of spiral, particularly that second time through an order. And he just wouldn't be able to, you know, get out of the fourth inning. And all of a sudden, you know, your bullpen's getting used up a whole bunch and that's just not a good place to be in, but it just, he seems like he he'll like bounce back and just have a one, two, three inning. He'll throw, you know, 13, maybe 15 pitches to get through that next inning and he's good to go. And, you know, he, he has just been kind of reliably that guy who gives up two runs each start, you know, has he faltered a, little, a couple times or maybe he hasn't looked quite particularly awesome at times. Sure. He's not a guy who's striking out 13 guys every time he goes out there, but he's, you know, he, he's just been doing his job and that's what the Braves have needed him for. Uh, I think it's kind of funny to call him an ace because I think he might be the third best pitcher on the team right now, but you kind of factor in what Spencer Strider does, particularly in, you know, if you're looking at overall upside, and kind of overall dominance, I think it's going to be, you know, Friedman, Strider, and then Wright. But at the same time, in terms of pure consistency, I mean, Wright, at, at the end of the day, if Wright can just con- continue to be this guy, he could even be, be a touch worse than that. He's probably going to get top, you know, a bunch of Cy Young top 10 votes. One, because there's a bunch of writers who care what wins, you know, about the win stat. And that's, you know, he's definitely got a bunch of those, I guess. And I guess that matters. But at the same time, you know, he he's deservedly, you know, gotten a lot of praise for his work this year, considering where he was this year. If we're talking about like an NL come out, comeback player of the year type award, like I, I think he's should be in at least consideration for that considering where he was. Uh, and just one note on Kenley. I am a little bit concerned about Kenley just because one, the options behind him when you have, you know, AJ having kind of a tough week and then you have Will Smith who just seems to be a consistently an adventure every time he gets out on the mound. I mean, that last pitch he threw, he was clearly something was bothering him, hurting him and with his back. And that's pretty much the last thing the Braves need because they actually have a little bit of a a laundry list of of issues that they would like to address at the trade deadline, I think. And having to get another significant bullpen arm to kind of get you down the stretch is definitely not the one something they need to do right now. Yeah, I think that guy's going to be Kirby Yates if if that player exists, but we'll see. But yeah, I agree. It's they need they need Jansen to be good and healthy. Uh, But to your point about right, and then we'll move on. uh, I'm going to read you his innings per start. This is only, uh, it's obviously a rough thing, but it doesn't mean everything, but uh, he has really been consistent. Uh, this is dating back quite a ways. I'll just kind of fly through this. Six and two thirds, six innings, seven innings, seven innings. He did a four, a four inning start, but then it's seven innings, five and a third, six, six, eight, six, six and two thirds, five, six and a third. Like it just, he just eats innings for them. And obviously it's not the same as like, you know, when and you all the innings too. Yeah. When you and I were growing up, uh, those might've been eight inning starts. But in this day and age, six inning starts are very, very valuable. And if you go beyond that, which he has been doing consistently, uh, again, he's top 10 in the National League at innings pitched and doing it with a sub three RA. 
that combination uh, makes makes you a very good pitcher, obviously. So and not and not with crazy pitch counts either. It's not like no. they're just leaving him in there to hang him for like 120 pitches or whatever. No, the Braves are pretty conservative about that stuff these days. I mean, I think yeah, Wright has uh, his his season high is 105. He's only even he's only hit 103 times this year in this year, and it was 101, 103, 105. Like they're not gonna leave anybody out there too too long, barring like a weird no hit bit or something like that. They are pretty conservative on that stuff, and I think that's uh, for the best for the most part. Um, Anyway, that was a, 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 good start, a good start for him on Friday. And we'll get to Saturday's game now. Um, I referenced it earlier, but I got to put a pit in it. I'll come back to it here. Uh, at the end of Sunday's loss, Ian Anderson was a large topic of conversation because over a six-start sample, he had an ERA over eight. He had almost as many walks as strikeouts. He looked really quite bad for, I don't know, a month or so, maybe even a little bit longer than that. And uh, there was a lot of pressure on him, I think, coming into Saturday night, and he really answered the bell in a big way. There's a small caveat, and he was facing a pretty bad lineup for Arizona, but um, you can't fake what he did also at the same time. Six innings, one hit, one walk, and he tied a career high with nine strikeouts. He was working fast. He was hitting his spots. He threw a lot more strikes. He was a lot more aggressive, which was uh, really good to see. He actually retired the first the first 14 batters. Um, and I, I was actually impressed by this before I hand it off to you. He allowed a double and then a four-pitch walk. And I had my alarm bells going off like, okay, this might be bad. Uh, but he didn't, to, to his credit. He did not implode after that four-pitch walk. And uh, they got him out of there at a responsible time. He did start the third time through the order. I have been reeling on this for weeks now about how how just how bad it's been for him, third time through the order. But he only faced two batters. They took him out at a good time after six innings. And it was really an awesome night for Ian Anderson. Yeah, it certainly was. I actually tweeted after the last start that I felt like I was kind of at a loss with Ian because – you know, the, the, the issue is that, you know, he has the fastball, which is kind of a, a low spin offering. So he really has to locate it well because he just doesn't get the same consistently anyway. He doesn't get the same sort of movement that you need from a pitch. Like he's not throwing, you know, 98, 99, right? He can't just, you know, blow it past guys necessarily. Um, and when he's like, you know, throwing 93, 94, kind of at the bottom of the zone, you know, you're kind of asking for trouble in today's, ba- you know, Major League Baseball. And you combine that with a curveball, a breaking ball that he clearly has no confidence in. Um, and you combine that with a, ch- a changeup that's very good. But if you, you don't have to necessarily respect the fastball, then your ch- changeup doesn't play as much up as well. And as a result, we kind of see what we've had, you know, these, you know, these last c- couple of months here where it's just the command has not been good. And when he's missed, he's gotten punished for it. It's you know, how do you teach a guy that's been in the big leagues for a couple of years, you know, to get us, uh, you know, to, you know, figure out a spin a breaking ball or to get, you know, get more run on his fastball. And it's, it's, a, that's a hard thing to do. You know, tonight was really encouraging, you know, the, the arm side run in particular, he was just kind of getting that movement at least horizontally at, at pitches up in the zone and he was getting some silly swings and that allowed his changeup to play up and he was kind of doing everything he wanted to do. I don't have a great answer still as to kind of, you know, what does that project for him long-term? Because we've seen both versions of Ian. We've seen him be very good. We've seen him be very good in very big games. I mean, this is guy, yep. this is, this guy's been on the mound for some really important games for the Braves. And I don't want to discount that, but at the same time, we've also seen times where he, you know, he's not, he's not locating his fastball. And by when I mean, not locating, I mean, either he can't find the strike zone at all with it or it's down the pipe and we see him get knocked around. So the short answer is I think that the Braves are still going to at least do their due diligence on, you know, finding another starter because I still don't think he is a reliable choice, but I, I openly question how many, 
because in this is a conversation that Chris and I were having on Twitter with a bunch of other people. It's just what the options are that are available to them. You know, do you send him, what, what does sending him down for three starts do for him? What, and it's a fair question because, you know, what, what, what do you send him down there to work on? And do you think that anything gets done in those three starts? And do you bring up a Kyle Muller who's hurt? Do you bring up a Tucker Davidson who is, you know, a questionable option at best. Same thing goes for Bryce Elder. I think that the Braves either have to look outside the organization and the prospect capital they have is, you know, very questionable in terms of what options they could even bring back in that deal, or they need to figure out what's going on with Ian. So it was nice to see that on Saturday that Ian had put up a good game because, you know, <laughs> they're, again, the Braves are pretty limited on what their options are right now, especially if they, if you kind of buy into the fact that they're going to try to manage Spencer Strider's innings down the stretch. Yeah, and I think it's actually interesting. We're going to do most of our deadline stuff a little bit later in the show, but as far as the rotation options, like I've advocated on this show that they could really use another arm, but it's not in place of Anderson. Like I've never been like the highest guy on Anderson. I don't I think he's a little bit overrated as a regular season entity necessarily. I think this year kind of maybe outlines that a little bit. Like his stuff is not that impressive, but look, like we saw tonight he pitched very well. And the big thing for me is just the lack of depth. Um, and you kind of talked about it there. Like, it's not that they have a gaping hole in the rotation. It's that if anything happens to any of those five guys, there is not a lot of confidence in anybody else. Like, we've seen what the Tucker Davidson experience has been in the major league so far. It's not been great. You mentioned the Mueller injury, et cetera. Like, not that it's that it's kind of a luxury to have a six starter that you can trust. But the Braves, particularly if you do think that Strider might ha- might, ha- might have sort of a cap that they will not acknowledge, or anything like that. You get one injury, a guy has to miss a start or two. Um, every game counts right now in the division race. Obviously the playoffs seem to be kind of a mortal lock at this point, but the playoff, uh, the division race is still important. And I think that just having more depth there or really having any depth there at all, to be honest, would be uh, pretty helpful. This definitely helps, but I would also say on the other side of things, um, I was not saying they needed an arm to replace Anderson yesterday. And I don't feel like the same today, but today's start should not change their mind in my mind. Is it encouraging? Certainly. But if they were worried about Ian, they shouldn't just suddenly not be after one start. Like he pitched pretty poorly mm-hmm. for a much larger sample than this. And it is, a, again, it's, it is encouraging. We agree on that. I think he pitched well today, but like his stack cast profile is pretty ugly, man. Like it's never been, he's never been a guy that's going to blow up a stack cast profile. Let's just say that right now. I know you, you covered him even longer than I have going dating back to the minors, but he's not like, I think he's like, yeah, he's literally first percentile in fastball spin and curve spin. Like he, uh, he is like in the sub 30% range and like hard hit rate allowed. It's, it's pretty not good. Um, but also if you see him on the right night and his changeup's working, he looks like he's unhittable. So it's like, I don't know. He's a weird, he's always been a weird pitcher. We talked about this a lot on the podcast. He's always been a weird profile guy, especially for someone who was a top five pick in the draft. But um, I don't know. Yeah, He's still fine. I mean, the thing is, and this is the last thing I'll say on it for now, like he, I think he's, if you realize that he's the fifth starter, which right now he is, like the way the Strider is pitching, Anderson is the fifth starter. A lot of teams would like to have him as the fifth starter. That's, that's, that's where I'll be right now. Yeah, that does seem fair. Uh, and again, like, I, I think it also means that like, you know, the Braves probably do need to keep their minds open. Like, and again, like Muller's injuries are kind of a weird one in the sense that like, he's not like out for the season or anything like that. He has a broken bone in his non-throwing hand. So if they can figure out how to actually, where he can like field and all that stuff, then he could probably, you know, potentially be an option. They could at least try out again. Uh, I know that, you know, he had like 
two bad starts with the Braves and everyone's decided that he, he could no longer pitch, but this guy's been, <laughs> he can really chuck the ball down there in AAA. He's made a lot of improvements, particularly with his command. Uh, whether or not those stick with those long levers, that's, that's when, when a guy's six, five or whatever he is, and, you know, repeating that delivery, sometimes it looks great. And if he can continue to make that, like repeat that delivery, he has some of the better stuff that you'll see. But if he can't, then all of a sudden the command can get away from him and things can go away from him. So it's just kind of whether or not that that will stick. And I certainly don't think this injury came in a, at a good time whatsoever. One, because, you know, the Braves could kind of use to have an, have another guy they got to have confidence in, like you mentioned. And two, if you're talking about trade chips that potentially were available to the Braves, he would probably have been at the top of the list. And I don't know if teams are necessarily going to be signing up to, you know, trade for a guy that, you know, has a, you know, has a broken finger or hand or whatever it actually ended up being. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I think that if he's your fifth starter, then you could certainly do a lot worse than him, than Ian. Uh, but he, I think it's fair to have a certain amount of skepticism, particularly with the peripherals as to whether or not that he is going to be a guy that you can have a ton of confidence in long-term while understanding that I know what his track record is with the team, but you know, you have to kind of look at things, you know, year to year and be a little bit more objective than that and say, you know, like everything about this screams, this could be a problem. Uh, and if, you know, he's able to turn things around and change some things about that profile, that's different than, you know, he's completely doomed. But right now it's not looking particularly great with the notable exception of Saturday where it looked really good. Yeah. And look, I mean, even with today's performance, his ERA is 4.99 this season and he has less than a two to one strikeout to walk ratio. That's even the, those are the most basic peripheral stats, but like he, he the between the stat cast profile and his walk rate being a little bit higher than you would want it to be for someone who has his level of stuff, et cetera. Like there's a lot to worry about. There's a lot to still be encouraged about based on the playoff track record, obviously. And the fact that even with this year, his ERA for his career is still like basically right at four. And that may not seem like great, but again, through the prism of what they actually need from him, which is just solid innings that's fine. It's not like it's terribly exciting, but uh, they have three guys that are higher than him on the pecking order. Definitely. And then when you throw in Strider who is, you know, has been clearly better than him this year, not even close. Like that means he slots in number, in number five and there you go from there, but depth could be uh, nicely to sort of be a nice thing to add if they could find it for cheap in the next couple of days. Last thing on the games today, before we sort of take a break and get into some stuff in the sport future facing um, Matt Olson hit another home run today. That is eight in the last 14 games, Matt Olson was hitting a double every night for a while. And now they're home runs again, which is more valuable than doubles. That's nice to see. Yep. Um, and also, and also Contreras hit, two. Two. Contreras hit two today, which uh, he now has 13 home runs and like 190 plate appearances. That's, that's pretty good. I think. I'm, I'm, I'm a little heated about this. Uh-oh. I got, I got yelled at Brad a lot. Like maybe it was like two weeks ago where I said, Marcelo Zuna, something needs to change. Marcelo Zuna needs to not be DHing every day and batting fifth. The number of people who cited his July split where he had played like nine games, one of which he had a two home run game in Cincinnati. And it's like, no, he's turning it around. Everything's going great. You only hate him because of his off the field stuff. You've hated him all year. He's not been good. And you want to know how I know he's not been good? Because I've actually been watching the games and he can't swing and hit baseballs. And now he's sitting here in July with still a two home run game on his, on his ledger and his WRC plus for July, Brad 71. That's your DH. And he's been batting fifth and sixth far more than he hasn't. Now there has been some lineup changes at times lately where he's been moved out a little bit, but you have 
<laughs> the guy who is the starting NLDH for the All-Star game on your roster, and he's sitting on the bench only playing two games a week, and every time you play him, he produces, and then you have Marcel Ozuna going 0 for 3 with three strikeouts, and you just hope that he drew a walk in that game. I don't understand it. I just don't. I'm not saying that you need to fire Ozuna into the sun, but you need to get Contreras into the, the lineup more to help bolster the bottom of the lineup. You need to get get this guy more bats. You need to move Ozuna down to be in a different position where because there's so many innings just end with a five pitch at bat that ends in a strikeout or a grounder that doesn't do doesn't go anywhere. Far more often than not, he he kills innings. He can't run, so he's a ground. He's a double play waiting to happen. He's not. He's hitting the ball hard, but it's straight into the ground. He's not. He's not even giving you those home runs all that much anymore. He had two run, two home runs on July third. I think he might have hit one since then, and that might be the only extra base hit he has over that that, that period of time. It's at some point you need to say, you know what? We need to get more production out of our designated hitter position, and you have a guy on your roster that can do it. I'm, Again, give him some days off until he can figure out how to hit again because you have a guy on your bench that can actually do it for you. I know that Snicker is deathly afraid that he's going to hurt a catcher and all of a sudden he's going to have to have like Tyler Matzik put on catcher gear or something, but that is so rare to happen and I just, I don't understand it. Yeah, I knew that rent was coming. Uh, that's, uh, I generally agree with you. I, and I'll just say this as far as the numbers are concerned, like uh, our, our colleague, Scott Coleman tweeted this out tonight, I believe, and basically said, you know, screenshotted his StatCast profile and essentially said, how can a player with this bad ball profile be this bad? And that is the weird thing about Ozuna. Like, he's still hitting the ball hard. Like, his StatCast profile looks good still. But at some point, and I, by the way, it might be now, I'm going to give you, Eric, I'm going to give you the numbers for the last two seasons for Marcelo Ozuna. Obviously, last year was a bit of a weird season for him. Only played, like, for the first half. He's pretty bad. And it's almost exactly a full season of data now. He has played 143 games coming into today, by the way, since the start of 2021. That's essentially a full season. He has had 606 plate appearances. That is a full season of plate appearances. He does have 25 home runs. That's a pretty solid number. But his slash line in the last two seasons is 218, 279, 386 for an 81 WRC+. And 81 is higher than you would think that because the offensive environment's kind of been down a little bit, but those are numbers that you just cannot have for a full-time DH who, as you referenced, is also slow. And whenever he plays defense is quite bad. So we're not breaking any news here to say that he has not been very good. I do think um, as a small counter to what you said before, he did have one stretch for a few weeks where his numbers were like, okay, but honestly you're stretching then because like it was like he was a league average hitter for two weeks or three weeks. It wasn't like he was lighting the world on fire. We've seen Marcelo Zuna get scorching hot during his, you know, almost triple crown season in 2020. He was unbelievable. And I think that if you look at the batted ball profile, maybe that could happen again. And maybe that's what sticker is hoping, holding out hope for and by just playing him every day, getting, getting him up out there. But at some point you kind of have to draw the line in the sand and say, okay, um, what is this? at this point and the splits are ugly too like you might think oh okay let's try him against lefties his splits are actually reversed this year he's actually hitting righties pretty well and lefties not at all now that's a small sample size well, i don't think let's, make... let's not say pretty well he's just worse against lefty he's no he is I, I think he has like a hundred it's, it's like 104 wrc plus against right-handed bat. it's not like he's killing righties either but like sure. he's been a league average or better hitter against right-handed pitching um lefties he's not doing anything against and again i don't really care about a sample size that small for handed splits, but you know, you're squinting to basically just hope that the bad ball profile starts to carry him again. 
And as you laid out, this is a situation where you have William Contreras who is raking and like, he's a guy who has always been a bat first prospect. Um, I don't, we talked about the catcher thing so many times. I'm not even going to do it again, but you know, at, at a minimum, I think that you have to at least consider playing Contreras more often when Darno catches. It just, it is what it is, what it is. Maybe you could say you don't want to have Darno DH when he's not catching because he's a little bit older, a lot of trail on the tires there. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's how you use Ozuna. You have Ozuna DH when Contreras catches. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know what, what the plan is going to be moving forward. And it, maybe it'll be dictated by what they do with the deadline which we're going to get into in a second. But uh, yeah, I, you know, at, at minimum, it cannot just be write Ozuna's name in every day blindly. It, it can't be that. I think we've seen that now for about a, you know, full season's worth of plate appearances. So rant over for Eric, but uh, you feel better now? I, I, you, I, you right I, I do. I do feel better, Brad. It was, it was better talking to you. You made me feel better. Thank you. I'm proud of you. Okay. A quick break now to hear from our sponsor. We'll come back talk about the uh, standings as they are now with the Mets. And of course, look ahead to the deadline, which is again on Tuesday. So hold on tight. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right, Eric, quickly, the Braves are only three and three. That's our last podcast on Saturday. And the Mets had a good week. So the deficit is now three again, despite the win on Saturday. The Mets are playing quite well. Um, I feel the same that I did before. I think these teams, if I had to, if I had to pick the, the better team right now, I think it is the Braves, but three games does matter when you're talking about it being August 1st and the second, um, three games over a two month span is a real deficit. And that is why the projected systems are all picking the Mets at this point. And that's probably the right thing. Uh, could the Braves win? Absolutely. Um, would I maybe even still pick them deep down in my, in my brain? Maybe, but um, I think it is totally reasonable to say, uh, if you look at like 538 fan graphs, et cetera, to have the Mets be favored to win the division because three games is three games. Even if you think the Braves are better. Yeah, I think that the, ultimately the division games, the division race may very well just be decided this month. Uh, there's a lot of games between the Braves and the Mets, uh, and then the rest of the games that they have are against some pretty bad teams. Uh, both, both the Met, the 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 well, the Mets in particular, they have a bunch of te- 
games against some pretty easy teams. Whereas the Braves kind of have some sort of spooky, like, you know, like going against the Marlins who have a pitching staff that, you know, their offense isn't scaring anybody, but their pitching staff's really good. It's entirely possible that he's like, you run into like peak Sandy Alcantara, right? Like that's just like, those are games you can lose. Uh, you know, games, series like that, where I think that ultimately what the Braves are going to have to do, and they haven't been able to accomplish that this year, is play well head-to-head against the Mets. Uh, you know, the Mets have certainly had some good fortune in a lot of those matchups, but at the same time, at the end of the day, you have to kind of produce on the field. And, you know, with all these games this month against the Mets, that, that I could see, I could foresee a world where, you know, the both the Mets and the Braves play well against non you know, each other opponents the rest of the way. And the Braves just end up losing by a couple games just because they're not able to, you know, you know, get the d- deal done against the Mets. Uh, apologize in advance. Uh, apparently they decided the giant thunderstorm just to spawn over my house while we're recording. But I was going to uh, ask the, that question. I was like, what's going on over there? Eric? Yeah, I, I'm, no, I'm the one on the road right now. I'm, I'm the one in the weird location at the moment. So, yeah, so what it is, kinda, you know, these, these summer night thunderstorms, uh, pop up very quickly but the short answer is that I, I could foresee a world where i could i could see the braves being the better team i tend to agree with you that i think they are the better team uh but you know at the end of the day they have to you know match up well with the mets and actually you know put up some wins and get a winning record against those guys to actually have a chance at the division uh but they're both really really good teams i i think that you know it's it's these two teams and the dodgers that are among like they're the best teams in the national league uh, it's just kind of unfortunate that the Mets just had such a hot start and they really, other than a bit of a lull where the Braves were able to catch up with them, um, you know, the, overall they've been able to continue to put wins up and they did it against some good teams this week. So it's not something I'm super concerned about necessarily. It'd certainly be better to win the division than to not win it. But at the same time, you know, I, I'm not necessarily worried about the tra- trajectory of the Braves. Uh, and if the Mets keep winning, that's only so much, there's only so much of that you can control other than those head-to-head matchups. Yeah, and you know, speaking of that, this week is a big series coming up. You know, the Braves do finish up the series against Arizona on Sunday. It's Max Freed on the mound, and the Braves, as of right now, are pretty big betting favorites in that game. Obviously, there's nothing assured in baseball, but they are favored to win that one. I, I don't know. Some, the, the Sunday curse is real, man. I know. I just want to say it out loud. In the, I'm just giving the betting odds, Eric. They are favored in, to win the game. Uh, Monday, they're off. And then Tuesday, of course, is the deadline, which we'll come back to in a second. Um, they play a two-game home series against Philadelphia Tuesday and Wednesday. And then, uh, as noted by you a second ago, they play the Mets, and they play the Mets five times in four days, beginning on Thursday on the road. That is a big, big series for obvious reasons. There's a Saturday doubleheader mixed in. Um, Scherzer's going to pitch, it seems like. Uh, DeGrom might pitch on Sunday uh, in his uh, return. It's supposed to be this week. So if uh, the Mets are at full strength, there's nothing easy about that on the road. Uh, obviously, we don't have to tell you, uh, tell any listeners that that's a big series, but it's a big series. Five games against the Mets in, uh, in early August matters quite a bit. I'll, I'll go ahead and say that if the Braves can go four and what's he Sunday. So we'll go five and two between Sunday and all the way through. I mean, that's right. I'm doing the math on that. Right. Yeah. Uh, then uh, they're going to win the division. I'll go ahead and say that right now. I'll go ahead and put it down in audio. Timestamp this one. Yeah. Yep, time timestamp it, whatever. If they go five and two for this next stretch, uh, I feel like I'm not doing this math right. Uh, my, oh, I'm sorry. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Six. And oh, two. wait. No, they, as I said, they have eight games. Yeah. Eight yeah. Games yeah. The, 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 the double header is messing me up. Uh, six and two. Six and two gets it done. Uh, division race is over. Go ahead and mark it down. And if you can blame me if I'm wrong. Yeah. The, the funny thing there is uh, what if they were to win Sunday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and then go two and three against the Mets? 
or three and two against the Mets, whatever it's going to be. That, that, that wouldn't be quite as easy if they only win three and five against the Mets in that scenario. But I understand. No, I, I think it's reasonable. I, I, look, the die is cast. I just put it out there. Well, you do have to, in order to go six and two this week, you do have to win the Mets series. Uh, you, you, it could be three to two, but you do have to win the Mets series. So that would matter yep. on some level. So, all right, you heard it here first, folks. But yeah, that's the schedule this week. Um, before we get out of here, a little bit of deadline talk, um, unless you want to get into uh, all the draftees being signed by the Braves. I have no minor league stuff this week, Eric. My apologies. Unless you have something you want to uh, get out, get off your chest before you get to road to Atlanta again. Please go ahead. Uh, Vaughn Grissom is still very, very good. He got promoted to double A and hasn't really slowed down all that much at all. Uh, had another good night tonight, uh, more with a couple walks than anything. Uh, Jared Schuster gets a promotion to AAA. That was pretty exciting. Uh, Kyle Muller, again, he was injured. He it was in batting practice, and I guess he got hit by a ball in his non-throwing hand, and it broke a bone in his hand. I'm not sure if that's it. They're talking about using a splint to see if he can still play, so I'm wondering if it was a finger. But, you know, that's kind of what's been going on. We can kind of get more into the the, the deep dives of that. But the, the big news is just that, you know, they signed their entire draft class. It's a really interesting draft class, uh, a very deep one. I wouldn't necessarily say they have one guy that's going to be kind of carrying the headlines or whatever but they you know they they signed what we think will be at least like some three three first round caliber type guys potentially a fourth uh and that's not including you know the guys that you know no one's really predicting to be good you know if they if their scouting department it, it bets right on a few guys this could be a really exciting draft class but it really fills a lot of holes in the minor league system and there you have it, minor league stuff. And again, we have Road to Atlanta, wall-to-wall minor league coverage, as well as the written stuff on the site that Eric heads up. And that, that is must-listen and must-read stuff. If you are someone like me that does not know a lot about minor league baseball, that's the place to check out everything. Um, as we kind of know at this point in time, it's been covered extensively by Sean and Chris and Steven on the podcast network, et cetera. Adam Duvall is gone for the year. That is unfortunate. We love Adam Duvall on this podcast. The reality is he's not going to be coming back um, this year. So uh, there's also a bunch of full deadline stuff uh, by Chris and Steven this week, but there was a new uh, pseudo rumor on Saturday. So uh, actually some fresh content for us on the podcast network. Um, Mark Feinstein at MLB.com reported that Atlanta is uh, at least somewhat targeting or keeping in mind Michael A. Taylor, who is currently on the Royals roster. He is a veteran outfielder on the first year of a two-year $9 million deal. Basically, um, historically, he is a glove first outfielder, not exactly the greatest hitter in the world, a below average hitter for his career across the board, basically. And he's 31 years old, so um, probably going to be a breakout guy, but he is hitting pretty well this year, having his best season um, in a long time at the plate. I will say his bad ball profile is not backing that up necessarily. Um, he could hit a little bit better against lefties. He's a right-handed hitter. That is helpful as well, but he's not Adam Duvall as a masher by any means. He's definitely more of a glove guy, um, potential platoon guy. And honestly, he's been, he's been a center fielder mostly, and he's really very good on defense, especially if he's playing a corner. I think he would be awesome, but, uh, I don't know, Eric, it's kind of, it's kind of a weird fit, but also he is cheap and he also is probably available for very little, which would also be kind of, uh, on brand for the way they brings the panel stuff recently. Well, and he also kind of fits the mold of a guy where, you know, you have the Kansas City Royals who have a, a strong familiarity with the Braves farm system because they oh, really yeah. dealt with the Braves this year. And he also, he also, he also, he also, he also be Harris insurance. Like if Harris got hurt yeah. or something for two weeks, they could actually roll him in center field. Whereas they don't seem to want to play Ronnie there at all anymore, which I understand. Um, so, and right now, I mean, it's, it's basically just Guillermo if something happens to Michael Harris, which obviously we're hoping that doesn't happen, but Michael Taylor being a uh, defensive center fielder who is quite capable there and also being an awesome corner guy could be useful. Well, I mean, Wilson wouldn't be the worst idea to have a guy where like, you could give Michael Harris a day off against a really tough lefty, yep. right? Like, that's, uh, you know, that's the one thing that, I mean, other than it, the ability to draw walks and hopefully that, you know, Mike can kind of, you know, 
start to get on base more than other than just putting the ball in play. But, you know, giving him a day off against a really tough lefty and have a guy where you're not going to be much drop-off, if any drop-off at all uh, defensively. I mean, Michael Terrace has an absolute cannon for an arm, and he really moves around well in really any outfield position. I, this is the, the the caliber of player, I think, that in terms of filling the left field spot uh, or filling the outfield spot is kind of the Braves have to target. They can't just go and trade for a big-name guy necessarily. They just don't have the prospect capital to do it, uh, especially since, you know, they can't necessarily move these guys they just drafted. So it's – this is kind of the ta- – there's a lot of talk about Joey Gallo and – I, you know, he's, he's, very, he's very available. <laughs> very available. Yeah. That, that's a, that's kind of a different question. You have to be pretty sure that you can at least get him to be, you know, a reasonable hitter again, uh, that you won't find many people with more raw power than him. And the, there's certainly been more than a few parallels that have been drawn between, you know, the Braves, you know, taking on Jorge Soler last year and then doing, I mean, their, their number, their numbers pre-trade, like, Solaire's numbers pre-trade and Gallo's numbers now are almost identical. It's actually kind of hilarious how similar they are, which is... Uh, I mean, look, if, if Kevin Seitzer looks at Joey Gallo and says, I can do the same thing that I did for Jorge Solaire last year, then sign me up. Uh, I, I don't know exactly what that would t- take to trade for him. Well, uh, the, pro- but- the problem is there, by the way, uh, is that he's left-handed and they don't need that. Necessarily. I mean, obviously they could use more depth regardless in the outfield, but ideally you would have someone to pair with Eddie Rosario, which means you would want a right-handed batter that hits lefties well, ideally. I'm not saying that's what they have to do, but just, that's what you would draw up. I mean, look, you just put Eddie over there and left, and you just throw Gallo over there and right. The one thing he can do is throw the ball hard, and then, you know, you hope that Michael Harris can cover, you know, 80% of the outfield out there and, just close your eyes and hope that defensively things kind of work themselves out. But I, I'm a little lukewarm on Gallo just because that that profile is in general is a little weird to me. Uh, I do know that whenever he does hit the ball, it goes about 500 miles. So that'd be kind of fun to watch. But in terms of like the options, I think they kind of this Michael Taylor, you know, realm uh, Ramon Lariano is another name I've seen batted, batted around a little bit. That's another team that's pretty familiar with the brave system and, you know, familiar with the guys they like and don't like too. So that's like another option, but this is kind of the, I expect the kind of the realm, the, the Braves to be playing in and not necessarily going after a big, big name guy, unless they're taking a bit of a risk. Yeah, I tend to agree too. Obviously it's fun to think about big names and deals like that. But I think uh, given what you said about prospect capital, I mean, we could argue all day and there was a big argument this week about Shoei Otani and that um, famous MLB network fake trade that I kind of waited on a little bit. And it was funny that people don't read Twitter when I, I never said I wanted to do it. I just said it was a reasonable uh, value because Shoei Otani is Babe Ruth. But um, no, it, it's, it's interesting. Like I think Practically, we even saw it's so obvious because we saw it a year ago. We saw what Athopolis did a year ago. He plugged holes cheaply, and they're going to have to do the same thing again. Barring some weird blockbuster we don't see, they don't have the prospects anymore to make those kind of like more splashier trades. And by the way, they've really never done that other than Olsen. And Olsen was an offseason trade, and it was such a weird situation where, you know, he was basically replacing an icon from the franchise. So, like, uh, I mean, that's the only time as you well know, Eric, in the entire Anthopolis era, that he's actually traded prospects that were considered to be top 10 guys in the system. Um, and that was a one kind of a one-off kind of deal. So I think they're going to do something that's pretty clear at this point. I think um, in, in the uh, let's say anecdotal responses that I saw on Twitter about Michael Taylor, people were not impressed by that. I get it. People were also not impressed last year by what they did at the, at the time for the most part. Um, I think that Taylor is not going to be someone who blows your blows your socks off necessarily, but he's a 
base. He's a caliber like of a guy who can play for you and rotate with Rosario. Who Eddie had a nice uh, a nice at bat. I guess actually had a triple tonight against the left hander. That was good to see. The hope really, and we don't, I want to put too much on this, but the hope is that Eddie Rosario becomes Eddie Rosario again. Not necessarily NLCS Eddie Rosario, but someone who is a good. Yeah, I want that one. I want. Well, that obviously, one. we all we all want that one. But um, I think if he's just uh, if he's just pretty good, that helps take the, a little bit of the burden off. But again, I think that they get they, they probably don't want to play him against lefties all the time, um, and that's at a minimum what you want to get if if you're aiming low as someone that you can start with confidence in left field against the lefty. That's what you pretty much have to have that or better, I would say, in the next couple of days. And then you throw in the fact that um, you talk about Ozuna and all that stuff. Like they still have Ozuna on the roster. I think he's going to play whether we whether we want him to or not. He's going to play some. Um, I wish they could move off him. Uh, I'm not sure that's going to happen. I don't think it probably will. But there's not that much flexibility. Like there's kind of just that one spot to plug. As long as everybody's healthy, it's the Duvall spot they have to plug. I don't know what's going to be. Um, I'll, I'll ask you this, Eric. I know, I know my answer. Uh, what is more necessary for the Braves? One big caveat, though. Let's say for whatever reason, Ozzy Albies is not back until late September. Or Ugh. there is some concern Ozzy Albies does not return at all this year, which I'm not reporting. But the fact that we're basically all in August 1st, he's not done any baseball stuff at all. They've said this. He's not done any baseball activity at all. Let's just say, hypothetically, he's out for six more weeks. What is more important, another outfielder or a second baseman? Because I will give one stat before I give it back to you. Uh, Orlando Arcia, who started, by the way, against the righty tonight because Robinson Cano has been that bad. Arcia has a sub 500 OPS. Yes, like in the 400s OPS for seven weeks right now. After the hot start in a shocking turn of events, Orlando Arcia is not Joe Morgan. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's been pretty bad. So like, honestly, I know my answer. I'm going to lay out, Eric. What's more important in the event that Ozzy is not a guarantee? Second base or another outfielder? This one's tough. Uh, and, and it's honestly tough. I know what your answer is going to be, but I do think that it's genuinely tough just because I do think that Orlando Garcia has some defensive value. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and just put this out there. He does. Robins, he does. Ro- Robinson Cano has like negative value. Oh, by the uh, way, uh, did, you, did you notice this today? Um, this is something that I always pay attention to as a media nerd who is in the media in a lot of, in a lot of ways. Um, anytime the beat writers are openly discussing that Robinson Cano could have, could have seen his last plate appearance for the Braves. When, when the lineup came out today, uh, at least Bowman, I think maybe, maybe multiple guys, at least Bowman was like, this could spell the end of Robinson Cano. When that happens to beat writers, because they all notice that, Oh, whoa, RC is playing us to righty. That is basically uh RIP to Cano. I'm not saying it's definitely going to happen, but it does not seem like he's long for the Braves. If I had to guess. Yeah. I, I think that the, there might be a problem with just kind of an availability of, a second baseman that they of, would like of anyone <laughs> they have to get somebody yeah, like, else like, well, yeah, yeah yeah like 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 second base is like at the trade deadline is gonna be like they, like brendan jury is gonna be like the name that everyone's like you have to get him he's so good but he's also gonna be the most hotly trivial the hottest yeah. commodity on the trade market well and i, don't I think mean the Ravens this... are gonna play, play, trade a, a premium for him right no so like so who do you go who do you who do you go to get to replace Arcia, I'm not defending Orlando Arcia. I am on Team Brad here in terms of I don't think he's necessarily the answer. I think I'm kind of crossing my fingers and hoping that Ozzy returns because I'd have some hope. Of course, for that. That, that that is that is the obvious answer is that everyone hopes, including us, obviously, that Ozzy is back in a few weeks. And that and listen, they know more than we do. They are not saying really much of anything. There was a kind of encouraging 
report in the last couple of days about how he's doing some more stuff in the pool and there's no, but listen, yeah, there's a report that he was like, he, they, he was seen without wearing the walking boot and stuff. So like that, that's a good sign. And obviously that, that, that cures a lot of ills. He was not playing super well before he got hurt, but that's Ozzy Albies is an all-star caliber player. Like if he's back, this is not, this is, this conversation is moot, is moot. And they know more than we do. I will just say, you know, if they, if they don't think Ozzy will be back anytime soon, they need a second baseman, man. I mean, and I'm not saying about, I think Arcia as the, as the utility guy, as much as I have kind of poked fun at his lack of bat is totally fine. If he's your backup infielder, I'm totally fine with that. He cannot be playing every day with that bat. He cannot be on this team. Uh, and I think we've seen that over the last two months, he had the hot start. The numbers for the season don't look super terrible as a result of that, but here's what it comes down, comes down to for me. If I have to choose between Eddie Rosario every day and left, even against lefties or Orlando Arcia every day at second, I choose Eddie Rosario. That that's hard to argue with that. that I, I, I get it. I don't, I, with the discussion at second base in particular, particularly with like Arcia's real defensive value there, like he can actually play the position. Yes, and he is good. Seen, He's good. We have seen, and we, and now Brad, we have seen situations where the Brad, where the Braves <laughs> needed a middle infielder. And we were there when it was like the Johan Camargo, Charlie Culberson. Oh, I thought, you know, I, thought you were going, I thought you were going back to Brooks Conrad there for a second. I, I thought no, that was like, well, there's, there's, okay, okay. There's actually been some, some, some dark times that we've had to look at that are probably older than a lot of our listeners are. But I will say that because of that, like at the very least, he can play the position. I would be, and, and in terms of availability of like a, an actual upgrade rather than just another yes, RC. No, I, I tend to agree. Like, look, I mean, as much as I just said the opposite, there is an argument for, okay, we're going to have RC a play. He's going to maybe not hit for you regularly, but he'll, he'll bat eighth with Harris batting ninth and you just kind of take the loss. And especially, and that's kind of why we talked about Ozzy is like, if they think that Ozzy is going to be Ozzy in a month, or even in mid-September, as long as they have some confidence that he will be available for the playoffs, that's the important thing, is the playoffs. If he is himself and playing by the playoffs, none of this matters. You can deal with Arcia yeah. at second base every day for four, for four to six more weeks. That's not It's not great, but I, I get it. It all comes down to the medical, and they're kind of guessing, I'm sure, but they know more than we do, and we'll see. And look, no one's arguing that they don't need an outfielder. They do. I'm the biggest Guillermo Heredia fan there is, they need another outfielder. They, they do. Mike Ford cannot be the option on this roster. Well, when that roster move was made, I'm like, oh, oh, that one hurts. I mean, I mean, I mean, I get it. I mean, that's what they had to do. But it's like they don't, they don't have. I mean, he, Mike Ford's better than Travis Demerit, I think. So, like, those are your two options essentially, and that's what they chose to do, and it is what it is. But uh, I, I do think that they will get an outfielder. If I had to guess, I think we're all assuming they're going to do that. Um, I would just be just cautioning everyone like look it should not surprise you if they go and get a second baseman in the next couple of days that might not be the greatest Ozzy Albi sign in the world depending on who it is I if, if it's a no-name backup like Phil Gosselin style that's probably good news on Ozzy <laughs> or, or, or maybe or maybe exactly Phil Gosselin or, yeah or maybe another, exactly another, uh, another reunion tour because they don't really have I mean on the 40 man there's not another second baseman available I and mean, that's that's the thing it's it's Cano and Garcia that's all you have um on the 40 man now hey, Travis Tra- 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 Demerit used to play second base a long he time. used to play second yes. base that's 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 very accurate um anyway I, I think those are the obvious need spots 
Um, I think we're going to see a lot of Eddie, a lot of Eddie Rosario um, in the coming days, and that's okay as long as he's alive and hitting. Um, but you know, I, I, kind of like last year, I think they might plug holes, and this year they have less holes to plug. I mean, that's if you remember this, I know you do, Eric. But a year ago, they had essentially no outfield <laughs> at the deadline. They had to fill the entire outfield in. Oh yeah, we, oh yeah. The, the the number of starts that we saw from. Uh... We'll, we'll say some guys who probably didn't deserve to get as many plate appearances in the big leagues as they should have. Um, uh, no, I mean, it, it was, to... it was not, it was not a lot of, uh, it was not a lot of fun at that point to uh, see what was happening with the roster, but this time it really is barring another weird injury in the next two days. The only spots that like you quote unquote have needs at as the Braves are corner outfield, second base. And theoretically you can always use more pitching like starter or I was, maybe I, I was about to say I, I think it's I would almost guarantee that before the trade deadline is done the brace will add one, one one reliever at least one one arm of some kind because like I'm not gonna do the whole thing now because we did a little bit last week but um even in a world where you believe in Kirby Yates um being on the team in two weeks like and ready to go and like that, that, that might happen I mean that, that might be your um your on-brand Braves uh this is like making a trade uh thing that they always do um, maybe that's it, but I think that an arm of some kind, uh, whether it be a, a very uninspiring fifth starter type for depth or a bullpen guy, uh, you know, usually a team like the Braves that is trying to win the World Series again is going to add some depth on the pitching staff. And the bullpen's been awesome. We talked about that a lot on the on the show. It's been number one in baseball, awesome this year, despite some of the hiccups along the way. But you know, it's Yates would help a lot, but you know, they could certainly use more. I mean, you, you cannot have too much pitching. It is what it is. Even if you don't think uh, that Strider can pitch as a starter in the playoffs, maybe he's, maybe he's your bullpen answer in the playoffs. I had somebody yell at me about that this week and I'm not suggesting, I think I wanted to at least explain this before I forget. I was never suggesting that Strider is not capable as a performer. It's all about the innings and the fact that, and I should say not, or, but, and the fact that he would also be awesome in the bullpen. Whereas like a guy like Ian Anderson can't really be a bullpen arm for you. It doesn't really make sense that way. Strider, as we have seen, can come in out of the bullpen and throw gas. And like, he's the profile guy that if they're worried about his, his innings, that actually could, could actually function in that role. And Eric, I know you know this, but teams do not use five starters in the playoffs. No teams use five starters in the playoffs. It doesn't happen. So you, like- you, you are not wrong. So uh, the combination of innings and profiles- was why I said that. Uh, just want to make that very clear. Strider has been leaps and bounds better than Ian Anderson this year. Not even close. Uh, just even even despite Ian's positive performance tonight, Strider's been awesome. And that was not that was not me picking on Strider last week. It was just pointing out that a he throws a hundred and b he has an ending this question. That's all that is. So send your send your hate tweets to at bt Roland. They did. Uh, they uh, oh, no, listen. No, I, you need people, you need some more. It's good. People people were nice uh, that asked me about. There, there was there was some, just, just some confusion I think, and I was like, look, I, I will just explain it and just further. It has nothing to do with Strider's ability. I am a very pro Strider individual. In fact, we were yelling on this podcast that he should be starting weeks before he actually did. So we were uh, we're in on Strider. I promise. But uh, that's where we are at this point. Eric, we talked a lot. It's uh, storming there. It's late there. I appreciate your willingness to stay up late with me on a Saturday night. Please fire any more takes that you have. And if not, where can folks have uh, all of your takes in one place on Twitter and, and elsewhere? Uh, just make sure you can follow me over on Twitter at Leprechaun with a K. Uh, be a lot of minor league stuff, me complaining about major league stuff, uh, occasionally making fun of Brad or picking on Brad. Uh, if you kind of dig into my mentions a little bit. 
Uh, we have a, a new member of the minor league side of the writing staff, uh, who's going to be is Austin Gwynn. Uh, he's going to be making his debut this week, uh, helping out on the recap side, uh, as we have uh, Wayne Cavati taking a bit of a step back to kind of focus on his day job, which is a real bummer for me. But at the same time, it's always nice to have a different pair of eyes and hands involved in kind of helping along on the minor league side. So make sure you keep an eye out for him. Uh, we'll make sure we give him a plug on Twitter so that you can, everyone can start following him as well. Uh, so far, so good. He seems really excited and kind of primed to do his thing. Um, beyond that, you know, now that the draft coverage is finally over, we're kind of, you know, finishing out the, the, the string on the minor league side. And if you want to make sure you don't miss a single episode of this podcast or the road to Atlanta, which is the minor league podcast that I host with Garrett Spain, uh, make sure you subscribe to the battery power podcast feed. I'm sure Brad's going to do his usual plug, <laughs> but uh, you know, may, but definitely make sure you subscribe to the feed. Make sure you tell friends about it too. The more the merrier. We want to make sure we have, we make sure a lot of people know about the podcast, especially as we kind of get down the stretch here and we start talking about postseason runs. Uh, we don't want people finding out, you know, halfway through that there's a podcast that they can get all their information from. That was nice, Eric. I enjoyed that plug from you. That was, I, you, uh, that like, was you like that? I practiced it. Professional it stuff. I don't even need to do it now. You heard it from Eric just now. Uh, but yeah, please go ahead and do that. Also, uh, I'm doing uh, this time of year, we are doing timestamps on the show. It's about 11.15 Eastern right now as we're signing off this podcast. And uh, I do promise you if the Braves make a deal, and I'm sure they probably will make at least one in the next few days, we will react to it as quickly as possible, whether it be uh, you know the two of us or Scott or Sean or Chris or Steven. We will have podcast reaction in the aftermath of whatever happens um, probably within that uh, a few hours I would say if, if the deal happens during the day we'll probably have a show that night at some point we will do our best to respond as quickly as possible but uh, at the very least we'll have wrap-up content on Tuesday into Wednesday if uh, something happens along the way and the deadline again is Tuesday August 2nd a little bit of a, of a weird one this time around but because of where it landed on the calendar that's where we are at this point in time. Thanks to Eric for joining me on the show today thanks to everyone for listening to the podcast please subscribe tell a friend See you all next time.